You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Requited Love. Hello, my radio friends. I'm so glad you've joined me today, and it's my sincere hope that this program will enable you to have a closer connection with the Lord. The Bible is a truly amazing book. It inspires, uplifts, and helps us understand who we are, what's the purposes of life, what's going on, past, present, and future. There are many philosophies and many world views about today, and many of those are warped or are of a humanist nature. But the Bible allows us to understand properly, because he who knows the past, present, and future, and that's God, has revealed truth to us in his book. Recently I was challenged by an article written by Mark Galley. In it, he admits that as a Christian, he didn't feel any love for God. Now, Mark Alley's a Christian author, and I quote from his article, The Heart of the Evangelical Crisis. He says, I realize that even though I prayed and read Scripture regularly, not much of my life with me would be different if I didn't pray and read my Bible. That is... I was living as a practical atheist, meaning my personal relationship with God didn't really affect much inside me. I was, at the time, managing director of Christianity Today. So, naturally, I edited and wrote a lot of things that were Christian to the core. But I realized that if I never prayed again, that I could still be a very good editor at a Christian publication and a very good church member at my local parish. I knew how to get along with others, to manage staff, to work with my superiors, to work with fellow church members and to write on Christian spirituality. But prayer wasn't necessary to do all that. These other matters were all learned skills that had more or less become good habits. My personal relationship with God didn't really make any difference. My next thought was, well, if I call myself a Christian, I should have greater love and desire to know God more deeply. Perhaps I should pray for that. And that's when something occurred to me with great force. I wasn't sure I wanted that. I recognise that it's an odd admission for a person who claimed to be a good Christian. But there it was. I didn't think I really wanted to love God more. The reasons for that are complex and will be touched on later, but the bottom line was I didn't really want to love God. Well, such was Mark Galley's dilemma. And I have to admit this section of his article made me think about my own relationship with the Lord. I wondered if I might be one of those people who Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 7 and in verses 21 to 23 where he said, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that judgment day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. As I understand this section of scripture, the people the Lord rejects are those who do not have a personal relationship with him. In a successful marriage, there has to be a strong personal relationship with one's partner. But what are the factors that make that relationship strong and real? Firstly, there is love. It has to be a two-way love. It has to be genuine and seen and understood and felt by each partner. And then there's communication. Each partner needs to be able to express his or her feelings, emotions, experiences and so on to the other partner. And the same goes for the relationship between the Lord and us. It's my opinion, and also Mark Galley's opinion, that plenty of good Christian people are going about doing a lot of good things. Some do charitable work. Some spend a lot of time in service to others, maybe performing roles and carrying out duties in church to make the organisation and programs run smoothly. But according to what Jesus said, that is not enough. There is a serious dimension missing. The missing dimension is requited love. Requited love means returned love or reciprocal love. There's no question, no question at all, about God's love for mankind. His love for sinners, his love for his people, his love for you and for me. The Bible's most well-known text points that out clearly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Apostle Paul, writing in Romans 8 verses 38 and 39, further added weight to the words of Jesus by saying, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love for us is assured. It's there. It is unbreakable. It is immovable. It is undeniable. It is unchangeable. But Mark Galley's question is, is it requitable? 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 gives an answer. We love God because he first loved us. Love to God must be a response. 
If it was regarded that God did not care for people but he merely tolerated them or if he didn't really like us at all, would we be able to love him? Well, probably not. But there's no question about God's love for us. It's sung about, it's preached about, it's prayed about, it's talked about. But the question is, do I or do you do we love God? If anyone does claim to love God, how is that love revealed? I believe it is expressed in appreciation for what God has done for us. It is expressed in a desire to read, study and understand his will through his written word, the Bible. It is expressed in time spent in prayer and it is expressed in obedience. From the book of 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, is a plain statement about our love to God. John writes, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also walk, just as Jesus walked. But John wasn't finished with developing the idea about, about our love response to God. In 1 John 5.3 he goes on to say this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. It is a total contradiction for anyone to say, I love God, and yet go contrary to his expressed will as outlined in the commandments. So this raises the question something like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Does keeping the commandments result in us loving God? Or does loving God result in us keeping his commandments? What do you think? Well, it has to be the latter. Keeping the commandments in order to try to be sinless is a cold, legalistic act that gets one nowhere. But when someone wants to please God, wants to show their requited love, there is a natural out-love outcome to keep the commandments. Now, I've rubbed shoulders with people who have the audacity to believe that the Ten Commandments, the revealed will of God to humankind, have been abolished. Yet these same people claim to be Christians and to love God. The Apostle John said they deceive themselves, and he calls such people liars. Here, I'll read it to you. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar 
and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Loving God and keeping his commandments are inseparable. Our response to the love of God is demonstrated by doing his will just as Jesus did his Father's will. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12 makes it abundantly clear who God's people, that's the saved, are. The verse says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. People who keep the commandments in order to be saved are legalists. They deceive themselves. People who claim to love God yet refute the continued existence of God's law and do not keep his commandments are foolish. They deceive themselves. People who love God and want to please him do so by keeping his commandments. They requite love. They are the saved ones, the saints. In a number of my talks to you, I have emphasised the importance of keeping the ten, no, not just the nine, commandments. I've shown you that the ten commandments, God's law, continue to exist, although some unwise theologians have glibly taught that the moral law ceased to exist at the crucifixion. Their teaching is a lie. The commandments are, as Jesus explained, permanent. Well, we're going to have a break here, and I'll go on with this straight afterwards.
the emphasis about commandment keeping should be about a motivation of requited love. We keep God's commandments because we love him, because we want to please him. At the coronation of King Solomon, the third king of Israel, the outgoing king David in the assembly of the people dedicated materials including timber, silver, gold and precious gems, as well as his son Solomon to the Lord. In part of David's dedicatory prayer, he had this to say, and we can read it in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 17 to 19. This was part of his prayer. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly, willingly to you, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, our fathers, to keep this forever in the intent and the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. David desired his people to fix their hearts toward God. So what does that mean, to fix their hearts? Well, it simply means he wanted his subjects to love the Lord. Jesus expressed the same idea as recorded in Matthew 22 in an answer to a question put to him by a lawyer about which is the greatest commandment. In verse 37, this is Matthew 22, Jesus answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, isn't this almost the same as what the Apostle John had to say? The difference is that Jesus included degrees of love in saying we must love God with everything we've got, all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. In 1958, the vocal group The Teddy Bears recorded a song written by Phil Spector. This song was inspired by words on Phil's father's tombstone. And those words were, To know him was to love him. The song spent three weeks at the top of the hot singles chart and was later recorded by Dolly Parton Linda Ronstadt and Emmy Lou Harris. The title and words were changed to Know You 
is to love you. And that's how it should be with us and God. To know you, God, is to love you. When people are in love, they want to be together. They desire each other's company. They want to share their lives, to enjoy being in each other's presence. They want to walk together, talk together, work together and play together. They want to trust each other. And they, as in the case of marriage, commit their lives to each other. And that's how it should be. And that's also the situation in requiting love to or with God. Does God know me? Does God know you? Do you open your heart to him and share your innermost thoughts and secrets? If it were possible for you to send God an email, would he recognise it came from someone he knows? Or would he straight away put it in the junk file or in the trash? If you're, in a, if you're a Christian or are in the process of committing your life to the Lord, do you tell him that you love him? And do you show him that you love him? Do you want to spend eternity with him? Or are you happy enough on this damaged planet? Some people look forward to the time when God, as stated in Revelation 21.5, says, Behold, I shall make all things new. Those who've had serious diseases, who've lived troubled lives, have had a lot of pain and so on, have reason to hope for a life where they're free of all those troubles. But I think there's a much better reason, and that is to spend eternity with the Lord, basking in his love and company. Verse 3 of Revelation 21 goes on to say, Behold, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. What a day that will be. What a day it will be when Jesus is able to keep his promise to come back to earth, to take his people with him to heaven, that they may dwell with him in the place he has prepared for them. Why don't you read that promise? It is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, in the first three verses. I'll share that verse with you, but I'm going to insert my name. You need to insert your name, where mine is, to make this personal for you. The verse now says, Len, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, and man are many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. I'll go there to prepare a place for you, Len. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, Len, that you may be also. Put yourself in the picture. See yourself as one of those who Jesus will call at his second coming. In my case, I imagine Jesus calling something like this, Len, come, come home with me, that we may be together for eternity. Come, inherit the kingdom I've prepared for you. Friends, that's the time I look forward to, and I hope you look forward to as much as I do. Then there'll be no barriers such as space and time and the effects of sin between ourselves and our lovely God. But you know what? The experience of eternity depends on what happens now, on the decisions you make and whether or not there is requited love between you and God. this creep. 